Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A Dear Media original podcast. Welcome to Wine Face, where we're breaking down everything the experts know about wine in a fun, digestible, and accessible way because wine is for enjoying and wine is for everyone. I'm your host, Helen Johannesson from Helen's Wines in beautiful Los Angeles, California, and coming to you fresh, popping hot out of the oven of my mind is we're taking it back. We're taking it back. We are going to dig a little deeper into my past, see what kind of secrets we can reveal. People are going to come out of the woodwork. Let me just take it way back. I was born and raised in New York City. I was born in a snowstorm. Okay, we're not going that far back. But yes, I was a child of the city of New York. And boy, did I love it. I loved growing up in New York. I had a wonderful time. I had a great childhood. I mean, obviously, no one's parents are perfect. Love you, mom. Love you, dad. But overall, very fortunate. But I also did grow up very fast. So my dad doesn't drink. And my mom you know, most of my life was kind of a goody two-shoes teetotaler. I mean, I think my mom has had a martini once in her life, she said, and her quote-unquote best friend made her do it. So I don't know what to say to that. Martinis are delicious. But let me tell you about the first time I actually tried wine. The first time I had wine was actually at church, and we weren't religious, so... The whole story of that was I wasn't baptized. We would go to church as a social thing. I grew up on the Upper East Side, so we were like going to church on Fifth Avenue, get all dressed up, then you have coffee and coffee cake after with all the people and there's all these mingling. So I was just always going up to get communion whenever we'd go, you get a little cracker and you get a little sip of wine. And I remember the other experience I had with wine growing up was my mom made fondue in the winter and she used white wine and I just the flavor of how it interacted with the Gruyere cheese was like so mind-blowing to me so those are my childhood sort of wine memories which are not really that significant like obviously people think I come from a family that has like a crazy wine cellar and I was like drinking white burgundy at the age of five swirling my little tiny sippy cup but that was not my life So let's fast forward a little bit. I did live very fast in high school. And what I mean by that is I smoked a ton of weed. I had a fake ID. I went out. I was like doing Irish car bombs on the weekend. And we weren't really like connoisseurs of the fine wine yet. But I do remember at 18, my best friend and I went to La Bernadette in New York 
And her mom worked in fashion. She was really cool. And we got to do the wine pairing because we like super dressed up and just looked mature. And that was like a very transformative experience where I was like, I love food and wine is such a magical caretaker of that food when you have it in a beautiful chorus together. But basically, I got out of high school. I don't even know why they let me graduate, honestly, because my same best friend and I convinced our school that for the last trimester of high school, senior year, that we should be allowed to go to Europe and do a senior project based on performance art. And the premise was, they're probably going to take my diploma back, to be honest with you, but the premise was, we'll go to Europe and we're going to watch performance art, and then we're going to come back and do a performance art performance based on it. And what did we do in Europe? No. We went to Barcelona, and we drank wine and had paella. We went to Paris, and we ate baguette and cheese, and we drank more wine. We basically went all over Europe. We went to Amsterdam. We took mushrooms. Like, it was amazing. Did not see one ounce of performance art. And then when we came back, they were like, do you feel like doing your performance? And we were like, nah, we good. I then went to college. But basically... Myself and the school I was at didn't agree with my being there. So, you know, after about three months, I had to take a break. And it was at that time that my mom was just done. She was fed up with me because I was entitled and I didn't really have any direction. So she basically cut me off. Now, this is where restaurants really enter. I had to fend for myself. And I was like, okay. I'm in therapy because I have problems with myself and anger that I need to work through. And I want to go work in a restaurant. And everyone was like, oh, hell no, you're not going to work in a restaurant. Like, no, restaurant work is beneath you. you do, you're not going to work in a restaurant. You're too smart to work in a restaurant. Like, this is some bullshit, okay? Let me say, restaurants are amazing, obviously. I own some of them. So I ended up working in a bank. And let me just tell you, I worked in the worst kind of bank. It's a collections agency. And I was an executive assistant to Ali Azan. And he drove a large Mercedes. And I got a pair of Prada pumps. I don't know. It was like a very strange time in my life. So I didn't. Eventually, I went back to school. And now this is where my current life starts to make sense. I go back to school. And I start working in restaurants because I was older than the other kids. I had a really hard time making friends. My only friend was my yellow Schwinn bike. I would ride around. And I had a barista friend I went and got a coffee from every morning. But I had no friends. So I was like, I'm going to work in a restaurant, you know, and I don't care. No one can tell me what to do because I'm going to school. So I start working at this restaurant called Sardine in Madison, Wisconsin. Started as a food runner. And boy, I got like hit by that bug so hard. Food running is basically you line up in the kitchen and you stand there at attention, waiting for the food to be passed to you by the chef once they've approved it. And you have to like try and carry as many plates as you can. And then you got to be really fast and you have to know all the dishes. So when you put it down, you can answer questions. It was like this amazing adrenaline rush. I loved it so much. And I was like, let me become a server. And wine was a big part of this restaurant. It was the first time I had a wine from the Northern Rhone. It was the first time I had a wine from Sancerre, so Sauvignon Blanc. And there was this restaurant manager, Susan. She was like the kind of manager who's like your friend. And then like the next day, she's like a total bitch to you. So it's very confusing. Anyway, she let me become a server. And I remember I was terrified. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. 
But then I was like, maybe this just isn't the right environment for me. So then I decided I needed to work in the most fancy restaurant in Madison, Wisconsin, the most fine dining spot. It's a place called La Toile, and they have a world-renowned wine cellar there. My first day at La Toile, I was a busser, so I was like a back waiter. So I helped the main server, and I was like, all right, being proactive, pick up a tray of extremely expensive wine glasses. They're called Zaltos, and they are literally as light as a fairy. They snap when you look at them. They're just heavenly to drink wine out of. And I didn't know all the rules of the road of that restaurant or restaurants in general, like saying behind when you have a big tray of glasses or there's an in and out door of a kitchen. Basically, I went in through the outdoor and all the glasses fell on the floor. I mean, I was mortified. That's hundreds of dollars worth of glasses. But did that stop me from pursuing my sommelier goals? It didn't. Let's flash forward. I graduated from college and I was like, I know I'm going to go to LA. LA is the land of opportunity. I never wanted to be in movies or TV, but I did want to be in a place where there are mountains and the ocean and farmer's markets. And I felt like California, I could create my own identity and do what I wanted to do. And a lot of people were like, why didn't you just go back to New York? Some of the best restaurants are there. And it just felt like New York was cold and stifled and the barriers to entry felt too high. And I think this is the most important part for anyone listening, whether you want to get into food or you want to become a psalm, the barriers to entry in this industry feel very high, especially when you don't know enough or you don't have enough experience. And I live through that. And it's a big reason why today I try and run my business as a place where I will give you the knowledge and I will give you the experience as long as you just give me your focus and hard work. But I moved to LA. My best friend at the time, she already lived here and she was working as a line cook and I was gonna get a job in a front of house a restaurant and then we were gonna open a restaurant together, okay? Shout out Amanda Sidebar, she owns Moon Juice and she's just a very impressive foundational person. So basically I moved to LA, pack everything in the Volvo, station wagon, drive myself, just me, across the country, just really insane what you'll do when you're a young person, got a room in a house in the Hollywood Hills that had its own bathroom with these girls that I knew from New York. None of them worked, by the way. There was two writers, an actress, and a model, and it was insane. And they would just drink the worst wine, like Behringer Rosé, literally white Zinfandel, so bad. Sorry for being a hater, but that wine is terrible. I had a list of 10 restaurants and was like, I'm gonna work in one of these restaurants. And I pounded the pavement. I walked in and there were 10 of the best restaurants in LA and everyone said no. And I was on my 10th restaurant, all nine. Like I literally had a list with cross out, cross out. And listen, at this time I was just trying to get a foot in the door. I wasn't even trying to do anything crazy. I was a hostess, maitre d'. So then I go to Kraft, which is a restaurant in Century City in Los Angeles. It is owned by the chef Tom Calicchio. You might know him from Top Chef, which didn't, I don't think it existed at the time. Maybe it did. He was doing Diet Coke commercials at the time. So maybe it did exist. Anyway, I walk in the door and Tony Tricanello, one of the managers was there. And I was like, I'm applying to work here. And he said, we're hiring a maitre d'. He was like, where are you from? And I was like, I'm from New York. And he was like, you know what? You're hired. So he just hired me, you know, and I'm pretty sure it was based on what I was wearing and what I look like. 
but I got my foot in the door. And what's crazy about craft, and I just want to preface this by saying, I think Tom Colicchio is amazing. He was not at the restaurant that often, but it is this symptom of when you grow a brand and you grow a company and the choices that you make. So anything I'm about to say about craft really doesn't have anything to do about Tom. But what I did with my opportunity at craft is I got in the door and I basically worked super hard as maitre d', which is basically like being a baby manager there. And then when this woman, Jessica, decided to move her family to Hawaii, she was a manager and I asked for her job. And the moment I got her job for literally the lowest pay on the history of the planet, bottom of the barrel, but it's okay, I understood that I could have access to the wine cellar and the wine program. And there was a beverage director there, his name was David, and I would not call him a mentor because he was not interested in mentoring me. So I self-assigned myself to his program. What I mean by that is in my downtime or I come in early, I would rearrange the cellar. I would ask him, let me open every bottle on every table so that I could taste the wine to see what it's like. And I think I quickly love this side of service an aspect of how you can eat in a restaurant and also be elevating your experience through wine, whether it's a $50 bottle or a $15,000 bottle, because that was kind of what was happening there. I also was like, let me take the cheese cart around. I mean, I was jack of all trades. I was like, let me just do shit here. And I loved it. And I learned everything I could about the wine on our list and the program and basically, I could have probably still been somewhere in the craft universe today, but the beverage director left. He went to take his advanced placement sommelier exam. So David is leaving and I apply for his job. I think I'm the obvious pick. I've been in the cellar for six months with him. I know the program. I know the inventory. I understand wine. And they gave the job to someone who was a server in the restaurant who knew less about wine than me, only knew about Spanish wine, and that was it. So I quit. I gave my two and a half weeks notice right then and there, and I realized it was the best decision I ever made, and I really ultimately need to get the fuck out of there. So I had a crisis when I left. All right, no one's ever gonna give me this beverage director job unless I'm a real quote unquote psalm. I gotta be like way more official. So I started doing the Court of Master Sommeliers, which is basically a pay to play type deal. You pay them to take a test that they then say, you, okay, you're, you get to go to the next level where you then pay them more and then they give you another test that's much harder. You pass or you fail, but if you pass, then you go to the next level, but then you pay them more, but you're part of a guild, you're part of a community, you're part of a team that wants to support you, so you'd think. So I do the first level, level one master SOM exam. 100 people in the room, it's a cakewalk. I take the exam, I pass, no problem. So that's the intro. So then the level two SOM exam is the one that would be like, okay, you're legit, you're a SOM. I had to fly to Vegas, okay? I went to the Bellagio. They have very strict rules about what you can wear. You have to wear all black or a white shirt with a tie. You have to wear a suit coat. You have to, you have to, you have to, right? Like all these rules about what a psalm should wear and be and how they should 
act and how they should move their arms. And I had to take a written test and a service test. The service test is you have to open a bottle of champagne at a table with a master psalm sitting there. You have to pour four glasses of champagne and you can't pour it like you pour a little and it foams up and you stop. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. No, you have to do one continuous stream and fill the glass three quarters of the way. It's much harder to do than it sounds. It's basically just training your muscles and you can't get trigger happy. So I did this. I tried to talk to other people. I couldn't relate. It was mostly men. It was mostly a boys club. It just felt very austere. So long story short, I did it. It was fine. I think I passed. I actually don't remember. I'm pretty sure I passed because I put it on my resume, but now maybe I should check. What if I didn't pass? Doesn't even matter. The point of the story is you don't need this fucking thing to say you're a psalm. The classic definition, if you go back into ancient history, a sommelier is someone who takes care of and curates a wine cellar. That is the definition of a sommelier. So anybody could be a sommelier if you do that. There are these institutions that will give you a certain level of acknowledgement. Like if you're a master sommelier historically, you're going to be the one that an airline is going to want curating your wine program because you know what? That's a master sommelier. They know what the fuck they're talking about. So I left Vegas disheartened and decided to just get into coffee. So I started working for Intelligentsia. I quickly discovered that coffee was a little too one-dimensional for me. And it was at that time that I met my now business partners, John and Vinny, a chef who I'd worked for at Kraft, who like couldn't believe I quit when I did, had also then quit. And John and Vinny were like, we're looking for someone. We need someone badass in the front of the house, which is the person who's like the manager and they're on the floor. And Matt Acarino was like, you got to meet Helen. And I thought this guy fucking hated me. Like, I'm not kidding. I thought he hated me. He was always yelling at me, but I guess it was just to quote unquote, make me better. So Matt called me. He's like, you should really meet with these guys. And I was like, I don't know. I think I'm not going to, I'm going to get out of restaurants. I'm going to do something else. And he's like, I'm telling you, you should meet with them. I don't know what they're going to do, but one day they're going to do something big. And I was like, okay, I'll meet with that. And so we met. And we all crammed into a tiny little office at Animal and kind of the rest is history. But when they hired me, they didn't ask me if I was a Psalm. They didn't ask me if I went to school to be a Psalm. By the way, I got an English major from University of Wisconsin in Madison and a business minor. They just asked me if I knew how to run a wine program. And I said, yes, but the answer was no, I was terrified. I just faked it till I made it. I made it a point to meet with every single person selling wine in LA and then weed out the garbage, find the good. And I built it from there. I educated myself. I talked to people. I went to tastings. I tasted so much wine. I researched. I read. And it all kind of layered over in time. The expertise folds the more you do, the more you learn, the more you travel until one point you wake up and you realize you know so much more than the place where you started, which is just absolutely insane. And I think at Animal, I had an opportunity to just do me. I could do whatever I want. And I was still coming up against people, you know, we put orange wine by the glass 12 years ago there and people were like, oh, that, what? 
But people loved it, especially chefs. They were really into it because if you are in the culinary world and if you've traveled to other parts of the world like Eastern Europe or Northern Italy, you know that skin contact white wine is historic. It's part of a lot of different cultures. It's not a new trend. It's actually the original way that people used to make wine because extending the skin contact on the white wine actually preserves the wine more than if you didn't. But that is kind of how my slalom course of crashing into wine came to be. It was through food. And I'm not going to say it was just like, and then we just decided to create Helen's Wines and John and Vinny's. That came to be through a lot of hard work. And I think that's what people don't realize is things just don't happen. Things don't happen overnight. Things happen because you manifest them, you think about it, you work towards a goal, and you express to the people around you very clearly what you want out of life. And they can either create that opportunity for you, you can create together, or you have to go somewhere else to find it. And I think that's a mantra I've lived with my entire life. So when I'm talking about hard work, well, we were at Animal, and we're talking six nights a week. We used to be open till 2 a.m. on Friday and Saturday. It was crazy, but we were serving some of the best chefs. I remember when Thomas Keller came in for the first time with his entire team, and I just got to pair all the wine with their food, and it was like insane. It was one of the best feelings, and he pulled me aside after, and he's like, you did an amazing job. That was crazy. That was enough validation for me. Customers coming back, people being happy. But from there, we opened Son of a Gun. Then I helped open Petit Trois, Trois Mac. And I was very fortunate to receive an accolade from Food and Wine as Best New Sommelier. And receiving awards like that feels crazy, you know? It feels like you're getting this recognition on a national level. And it's never been the intention that you set out with. And I think that's the most important thing to me is the intention has always been to expose people to wine that maybe they've never had to educate people about wine and to bring wine into the conversation about food. I'm so happy that we're so far away from the place we were 15 years ago when you go to a restaurant and order a glass of wine. And unless it was a really fine dining restaurant, the wine by the glass would be shit. It would be hot red wine, it would just not be that good. And now everything has been elevated because of people like myself and a community that I'm in who all cared about bringing more diversity from the wine to the people to the education to everything into the conversation. So I did win that award and that was pretty cool. I'm not gonna say. Feels really good to be recognized for the hard work that you do. But you know, I was running all of our wine programs at all these restaurants. I was the director of operations and I was doing HR. I mean, this shit was crazy. And at a certain point, I kind of started to burn out and I just wanted to be more creative. I only wanted to focus on wine because I was winning this award and maybe 15 to 10% of my time was spent on wine, which I'm not saying, trying to say like, I'm so amazing, I did it. What I'm trying to say is, what could I do if it was 100% of my time? And what could I do if I could really just focus on things I was passionate about instead of, you know, high level operation stuff, which I still deal with, but it's a whole other world. So I go to John and Vinny and I say, hey, I love you guys like brothers. I just don't think I can do this anymore. I want to open my own business. And their response was, 
We want to be in whatever business you want to be in. And that is the start of John and Vinny's and Helen's. And that's when we started talking about it. There was the space. We didn't have the name. We didn't have exactly what we were going to do, but we knew it was going to be casual Italian. There was going to be a wine shop. And then we would just go from there. And it has been the best opportunity of my life. It has been mind-blowingly amazing. And it's just such a gift. And I think the real gift now is redefining how can you become a Psalm? What is a Psalm? And what kind of culture should we create around those roles? The people who I'm bringing into my world, they did not go to sommelier schools. Some of them have done some courses, but a lot of them just have start with a passion and they need a place to learn. They need a place to be an apprentice. And that's really what becoming a psalm is about. So we have an assistant psalm. If you don't know everything, you start as an assistant, you work your way up. You, we have some tests and stuff as well, but it's not about putting people down. It's about building them up. So yeah, that's the story of how I went from being a little troubled teenager <laughs> to now being an expert in the wine industry, someone who's passionate about hospitality, and hopefully someone who is going to help lead more education about wine through this podcast and also through all of the businesses that we have. But just wanted to say this is a little slice about me. And also, as I layer in more information about my story and my life and how it intersects with the guests and the wine and the food that we're going to talk about. I just wanted to lay a little bit of context for you in that regard as well. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to see more, you can go to helenswines.com or check out what we're talking about on Instagram at Helen's Wines. And of course, tune in every Thursday for a new episode of Wine Face where we're going to be dropping some beautiful gems. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>